Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Analytics Podcast. Today on the show, I have Todd Cornell. Todd has a long history of working with and in China and boasts over 30 years' experience in U.S.-China business communications. Todd currently runs Culture 668 and is the executive director of the Northern Colorado branch of the Global Chamber. In this interview, we dig deep into Chinese culture. We look at what business and individuals need to understand about Chinese worldview and how we should approach doing business in China in a way that builds trust and rapport. We also look at some of the pros and cons of working in China, especially today with recent developments in the political space involving tariffs and such. Hang on if you've ever really wanted to learn more about Chinese culture, because we dig deep into how it's different than the U.S., um, especially in business practices and how they approach business. So if you have any curiosity about China, if you plan on doing business with China, or you currently are doing business with China, this is a conversation you definitely want to take some notes on. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Todd Cornell. All right. Well, Todd, thank you for coming on the Analytive Podcast. I'm super excited to have some conversations with you today about uh, China. And I want to get into your background. But before we do that, what's going on right now with sort of U.S.-China relations on the business side? Um, you know, what what are we seeing? Because I know you do a lot of consulting with Chinese uh, U.S. companies who are manufacturing in China going over there. What are we seeing? Like, what's the business culture look like between the U.S. and China right now? Well, I think... Um Everybody's just not really sure what's going on. Um, just uh, a couple days ago, I think Pontius, while he was in uh, in uh, Europe, was talking about maybe it's better to just wait until after the 2020 elections to actually finalize the trade deal between the U.S. and China. But then at the same time, coming up on December 15th, there's a uh, there's a deadline for some new tariffs that are supposed to come into place, which would affect laptops and, ce and cell phones, and that's according to The, uh, the Economist. Um, something that I found from them is that they felt that it's possible that the trade talks could just stall. Nothing could happen, because nothing is in writing at this point, apparently, and when there's nothing in writing, then there's nothing to fall back onto, and so it makes it a lot easier for things to just sort of falter. Right. And it sort of seems like that's what's been going on. So from that position, I think that that affects the way the businesses look at interacting with China. There's, there, is, there is some um, sense of wondering if maybe it's not better to go to another country. And I think that, that poses other challenges, too, at the same time. So I think it's important for people to look at things from a business perspective and not be affected by the political mm -hmm. wins, if you will. Yeah, for sure. So then culturally, because your expertise is a lot in Chinese culture. I mean, culturally, outside of, you know, the economic, the tariff stuff, what what is sort of going on maybe culturally between the two nations right now? Like anything that you see there, um, you know, that eventually has an impact on business. But like, what's what's the cultural differences? Well, that's that's actually the the white elephant in okay. the room. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, that is one of the. I think that's one of the weaknesses of the U.S. business um, sector is that they don't understand the, the power of culture. They don't understand the implications that culture 
creates when interacting with China. And I think that that's something that is pretty much standard when two countries that are so different come together. One's very traditional and very old, and the other one is young. And so we have sort of almost a situation where it's in the age of the countries and in, in, the, in the, the established culture that exists within our two countries, the difference is like a teenager versus a grandpa. Mm -hmm. And that creates another idea too, an idea too, because in our culture, we don't necessarily see the value of older wisdom, whereas in Chinese culture, they do. Mm -hmm. When they're looking for an answer to a problem, they look backwards, they look into their past. When we're looking for an answer to a problem, we look forward into a void. Mm. And so it creates two very different interactions and reactions with reality. Gotcha. So then let's I want to circle around and, and follow up on those, but to give everyone some context, let's go sort of into your story. Um, how did you get involved in China, sort of become an expert in Chinese culture? So we can go as far back as relevant, but what's your experience been with China sort of over your lifetime, wherever you, you want to start on that? Well, first of all, I wouldn't call myself an expert. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... My experience with China, with culture, and with language started really early on. Um, when I was a kid, I was always fascinated with other cultures, other languages. I don't know why. It's just, you know, why is somebody a painter? Why is somebody a singer? Why is somebody a, right. you know, a doctor? Sure. It, it's just sort of your innate skills, your innate drive. And that drove me to opportunities to learn Chinese. And it wasn't planned. It just happened. I met some Chinese from uh, Taiwan in a restaurant. They were managing a restaurant in Dallas, Texas when I lived there. And I was fascinated. I wanted to learn the language. So I went out and bought a book and started learning it. And then they, through the relationship, they didn't speak very good English. So it was a great opportunity for me. Yeah. At least I could order rice and things like that. <laughs> but they communicated to me that I could go to Taiwan for a, um, there, was, there was a cultural foundation that could help me find a family to stay with for a while. And so I just, after a few years, I decided to follow up with that and I was able to go over. And that just sort of put me into that environment. I wasn't speaking the language really well when I got there, but I had real basic knowledge. But I had no preparation for the cultural differences. Mm -hmm. So that sort of created a an unexpected snowballing when I was able to get a job over there. I was also teaching English and then learning Mandarin in order to get my visa. And then my job working in a hotel gave me another opportunity. I was hired from, from the hotel I was working at in Taiwan by a hotel in Hong Kong. Uh, and then again, I was hired by another hotel in Hangzhou, China. So that's what took me into China. And then over the years, I had a lot of different jobs working for different industries, uh, starting out with the hospitality industry, then I worked for United Airlines, and then I got hired away from United Airlines by Corning Glass to work with them in their, um, their U.S., their Chinese, Sino-U.S. joint venture. Okay. And uh, that was in the 80s. That was like 1986, 87 that I was working for them. So I got into China really early. I, I was over there. The first time I went into Beijing was 1985. And there were hardly any foreigners there. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a very different world than what we see today. But that very much is the foundation of the world we see today. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. And then so with your business then, so you have a consulting business, Culture 668. Right. So what um, services do you provide then to U.S.-based companies or just companies that are looking to either expand or build relationships, maybe supplier-type relationships in China? I support them with uh, communications, negotiations, helping them to understand the best ways to interact with the Chinese, mm. uh, helping them to avoid any potential challenges, um, helping them to avoid any potential misunderstandings, um, just helping them to understand and to succeed at what they're trying to do when they're interacting with the Chinese. Mm. So basically, my, my attitude is that I don't need to understand your business. You need to understand your business right. because I understand China. And okay. I can help you communicate with the Chinese and be successful with the Chinese, not necessarily having to know your business because you know your business. You, you guide me in that, and then I guide the situation in order to help you be successful. Yeah. So can you give some examples of, of what that means? Because we've kind of been talking a little abstract as far as the cultural differences. But right. when, um, so let's just say, because I know a lot of folks that listen to this are in marketing. Maybe they do e-commerce. Maybe they're looking to China for somewhere in their supply chain, whether it's manufacturing or purchasing. Mm-hmm. What are the big mistakes, right? What are the things that you see that uh, companies in the U.S., when they approach China or Chinese, you know, Chinese companies tend to make in that relationship? Where are the big misses? So the, um, the faux pas okay. are basically uh, misjudging the character. Our character value, the way we judge people characteristically you know, like when, when, when I interact with you, when you interact with me, we're working from the same basic character judgment foundation. We look at people, we look for certain aspects that we see in people, and we interpret those as good characteristics or bad characteristics, and therefore we judge that person or that situation by those characteristics. Mm-hmm. When we take our characteristic uh, values to China and we apply them, they're not successful. We're misjudging okay situations, we're misjudging characters. And then what happens is we sometimes get ourselves into a situation where because of that, then we're up against challenges that we didn't expect. So that would be probably the main one. Also, just um, basically trusting people too quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. Americans tend to be very trusting. It's an aspect of our culture. Uh, We could also call it being naive. I believe going into a situation like uh, interacting with China in establishing new relationships, be it personal, business, or um, organizational, we don't want to trust too quickly. That's not to say that we can't trust, but we need to do it like you know it's 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 like a faucet. You need to be able to to turn it on and turn it off and adjust it and control it. But that's not necessarily the way most Americans work. We sort of go by our gut feelings when we're interacting with people. Oh, it's a nice person. You know, obviously I can trust them. And that is, I think, probably one of the biggest challenges that we have and one of the biggest um, problems that exist. Because too many times we misunderstand the signs that we're seeing when we're interacting with the Chinese or what we're hearing meaning what we think it means when actually that's not necessarily what it means because we're not able to to understand that through their cultural ideals and perspectives. So what does that that mean? Because you talk about trust. I mean, trust is important in any relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so obviously, 
you know, yeah, there's naive. And so, but I think what you're not saying is that, oh, like people in China are, you know, necessarily trying to take advantage of companies in the U.S. I, I don't think that's what you're saying. No, I'm not. So then what, what do you mean by that when you say we trust too quickly? Um, you know, like I understand abstractly, but what does that mean for a business relationship? Well, and, and this is where this, the skill set that I have from interacting with the Chinese culture for nearly 40 years is because I'm coming from their language. So if we want to get into really understanding the Chinese, we need to get into their culture and their language and understanding how do they see the world. So um, there's, there's a lot of expressions in the Chinese language that go back thousands of years that people say on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do the same thing. They may not go back thousands of years, but we have expressions that we say. And, and those sort of little short expressions will have a lot of a deep, deeper meaning to it culturally for us. Well, the same goes for the Chinese. So uh, coming out of the art of war, there's an expression, no self, no others, which essentially means that if what, what Sun Tzu, the, the writer of the, the art of war, was, was saying was that you need to understand yourself and you also need to understand the person or the people that you're interacting with in order to be successful. And so that's a, a real basic ideal that the Chinese people have deep-seated in their minds and their psyche because it's something that's been trans transferred down for thousands of years. So when they're interacting with people, they always put forth the effort to understand that person, or they may even in their minds just be sort of watching them quietly and picking up on different aspects that they put in, they, they, they put in the back of their mind for later mm -hmm. to be able to refer back to or take advantage of later. So I'm going to say the Chinese aren't knowingly coming out and taking advantage of us, but we're giving them the opportunities because okay. we don't understand what we're doing necessarily and how we're interacting in ways that are actually opening doors to be taken advantage of rather than having the knowledge of how to not open the doors or, or have people there who are mediating the relationship that understand that, oh, if you do or say this, this could create that problem or what I'm hearing coming from that side is saying that this could be going on, so we need to maneuver in a different direction. So it's a strategy. Yeah. So can you give some examples of where um, Americans and American companies open up those doors to be sort of taken advantage of? Like what situations, either examples from your own consulting or just examples that you saw while you were over there, where um, we unknowingly right give open up doors to uh, through naivety or whatever it happens to be for us to be taken advantage of? Exact examples, it's not that easy. Um, it, it's usually something that happens without... Um, That's a hard one for me to answer and sure. to say to give an example because it's not like that's an example situation. It's a when I say something and how that's going to be interpreted and then and and then the ripple effect that happens after that, which creates the challenges. It's not like you just say something and then a huge challenge just opens right, up. Right. So it's really about managing and 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 controlling the situation, being in control. That's why I say it's a strategy. Mm. Dealing with the Chinese is not just business as usual, and that's a lot of times what American businesses prefer as a, as a standard. It's just business as usual. 
you approach me, I approach you, we're here for a business situation, and that's what's going on, and that's what we're right. doing. It's very transactional. It's very transactional, and the Chinese are not transactional. But they've learned how to take advantage of a transactional situation. So in that sense, they're adapting to us in their own best interest, whereas we're not adapting to them. We're, we're, not, we're not changing in order to gain the benefit of understanding how to take advantage of Chinese culture. And this is something that, that is huge when interacting with the Chinese, and it can't be done in English. Mm -hmm. Because if you're speaking English with the Chinese, you cannot use their cultural mindset in order to be able to take advantage of right. the situation to negotiate. To yeah, negotiate. With them, and this yeah. is something that is one of the big weaknesses, because American businesses feel like, well, the Chinese speak English, they speak it well enough, I understand what they're saying, or I send them an email, and I basically understand what's going on, and they seem to sort of understand what I'm saying. And so they're happy with that. But they don't realize that that is actually doing harm to, the, to, to achieving and attaining what you're trying to do. I've spoken to a lot of companies who are like, oh, well, I, you know, I understand what they're saying, or I'll do Google Translate, or, you know, and it's like, okay, in the long run, after the ripple effect situation, then is when you're going to start seeing red flags and you're going to start going, oh, what's going on? So it's important to have somebody there who can bridge that communications and negotiations situation. Mm -hmm. And without that, then things are going to come up later. And the more that's allowed to come up, then the more challenges are going to come out later. And I think that's what has happened for a lot of big companies who have gone over there, and small companies too. Uh, when I was managing a manufacturing um, company over there, we didn't necessarily have so many of these challenges because everything was done in Chinese. Mm. Negotiations, everything. I, I didn't speak to anybody in English because I don't speak to, to the Chinese in English. Because if I do, I'm not able to take advantage of the cultural situations the relationships, the getting to know people situations that are so important in being successful with the Chinese and getting the best deal. Gotcha. And so what is that? So when you move the conversation from English, right, to um, Mandarin or Cantonese or whatever, the uh, probably Mandarin. Mandarin, Mandarin yeah. 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 Like what, um, what advantage, again, specifics are helpful, but even abstract, you know, I'm just trying to understand what advantage does that do? Obviously, you're moving into their culture, you're moving sort of the ball into their court, if you will. Um, you know, what, what advantages does that give to uh, you as you're negotiating on behalf of a U.S. company? Well, I think the easiest way to explain that is just for anybody who has communicated with somebody who is not a native English speaker mm -hmm. and in a business situation, I think we can all say that we've experienced some sense of, I'm not really sure I understand what they're talking about, right. but we make the best of it. So if we're dealing with a, a South American company or a European company who maybe their English isn't perfect, we can sort of get by and know that, oh, okay, I, I, I get what you're trying to say. When we're dealing with the Chinese, that's a different situation because of the vast difference between our cultures, the mindsets, the worldviews, the, the expectations. So when there are those mis misunderstood or communication breakdowns that we may not be aware of because that cultural aspect is so important through the language, if I'm speaking to you in... Um, a language that, that, that is culturally 
connected, that you're culturally connected to. Mm-hmm. And I'm using words that I know within our culture will maybe push you in one direction versus the other. I would choose my words in order to be able to get you to go in the direction that I want you to go, mm-hmm. right? So that's taking advantage of our own language. We do that daily. Sure. Persuasion, yeah. Persuasion, right, exactly. So I choose the words that I think are the best words to be able to persuade you to believe mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Right. When we're not able to take advantage of that persuasion because we don't understand that difference between these words, there may be three or four words that have the same basic meaning, but one may be more powerful to a native speaker. And so when, we, when we're persuading people, we're trying to convince people, then we want to use the words that are going to do that, gotcha. have that power. So the same thing goes for Chinese, but it's much more connected to their language than it is to ours. It's much more powerful. So it's kind of looking at, I guess, maybe the, the connotative meaning, like the, the meaning under the meaning, if you will, right. rather than like... The, oh, this is exactly, if you look it up in the dictionary, what this word means. Right. That's dictionaries between English and Chinese don't work. Yeah. Um, work. Got it. Okay. So if, you know, you're a company and you're thinking about moving your supply chain, you know, over to, to China, I mean, obviously you'd want to hire somebody like you, but I guess, can you walk us through maybe the steps of what are the things to think about? So you look at, and we can look outside of, you know, okay, the balance sheet and costs and tariffs. Let's put all that and say, okay, we've determined that it's definitely cheaper, going to be more beneficial to outsource. Mm-hmm. So you start looking for suppliers. What does that process look like? What are the sort of first, you know, two, three, four, five steps mm-hmm. that we should look at before approaching a company to really establish a relationship, to not be taken advantage of, to not give, um, your, uh, give ourselves an opportunity to be taken advantage of? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, what I suggest to my clients or companies that I speak with is the first thing you want to do is, after you've already established that you want to go over there, is to go over and visit manufacturers, factories, um, service providers that you're looking to work with. Meet with them, visit them face-to-face. There is no way to be able to be successful with the Chinese if it's not a face-to-face. Okay. That needs to that relationship needs to be established face-to-face, and it needs to be done in a way that you're in control and not them. And if 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 you don't understand the culture, and when I say in control, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I mean that you are. It's a strategy. Mm-hmm. You're strategizing everything when you're dealing with China should be a strategy, not just a, okay. Let's just go in and let's just wing it. That, that doesn't work. There needs to be a strategy in place, especially when crossing such a different cultural boundary. So having somebody, first of all, who can help you do that, I would be very spe- skeptical of Chinese. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's just a reality because the Chinese are Chinese. You take them back into China to work for you and you really don't know who they're working for. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you don't because the Chinese on that side are giving them pressure to, hey, you're Chinese you should be helping us out too. Mm-hmm. So we just don't know. It's a, it's a 50-50 situation that if you really don't know this person who is Chinese and who's over here working as a consultant for American companies, there's a lot of them I know, and I, I know some of them, and I would not trust them. Mm-hmm. So it's just how do we make, make that choice? It's a really hard choice to make, and it's also really hard for me to say that because... I know it doesn't sound good, sure. but I also know the reality of the Chinese culture and the, and the Chinese people. And that's not to say that the Chinese are bad people. They're good people if we interact with them in the ways that 
right. push them in that direction. Well, it sounds like, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if if I'm, I'm wrong here, but it sounds like with uh, Chinese culture in general, there is sort of a us versus them naturally as part of the culture where maybe they, um, again, I, I'm trying to restate what you state. So if I'm, I'm wrong, please correct me. But, you know, it's a little bit more of like, we're going to try and serve our own interests as a culture, as a people, primarily mm-hmm. first, and then American or business interests or, or personal interests secondary. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, the Chinese culture just embeds people with that. But it's interesting because you'll also see the Chinese who will come over here and they'll badmouth China because they know that that's what the people that are sitting next to them want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so that gives them um, a sense of, being able to connect with that person. So it's, it's, a, it's a very touchy situation, and being able to trust a person to take you into China requires a long-term exp- um, relationship because the Chinese will only trust over, over a long-term, a long period of time. There's an expression in Chinese, uh, oh, geez. <laughs> you can have to sure. cancel that one. Okay, here we go. Which means that you'll know a horse's strength over many miles, and you'll you'll know a man's heart over many days. And so that's that's the core of understanding the way the Chinese interact with each other. They aren't going to just trust somebody that they just met yesterday, a week ago, or maybe even a year ago, mm-hmm. but they're going to trust people that they went to school with, that they grew up with, that they've worked with for years. Those are the people that they're going to trust, but then still they won't completely trust them. It's just mm-hmm. a very different situation. But Americans, we can meet somebody and within 15, 20 minutes, trust them. Right, have established at least some level of credibility. Right, and when we apply those habits with the Chinese, we're only asking for, for trouble. Mm-hmm. We're only asking for problems. So it sounds like maybe the, you know, the state of American culture is naturally trusting, right? And the exception is right. to largely be untrusting. Whereas it sounds like maybe Chinese culture, the natural state is... Untrusting, untrusting, or at least uh, a, an extreme caution. Yeah, yeah, but actually untrusting, and then trust is sort of earned over the long run. Right, right. right. Like almost, uh, and I don't want to sound too harsh, but like a guilty until proven innocent sort of mentality. Right. Um, yeah. As we, it's as we true in a it. lot of ways, and we have a hard time looking at that and thinking, oh, what they're nice people. They're nice people. You know. Well, yeah, they mm-hmm. are nice people. My best friends in the world are Chinese, but my worst enemies are also Chinese. Right. Okay. And Americans are in between. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a it's a very different worldview. Um, in the in the writings of Confucius, he talks about the um, respectable people and the scoundrels, mm-hmm. and there that's a, there, because yin yang is really the basis of Chinese culture. The 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 aspect of the two opposing forces, but they're not. It's it's not a um, it's a harmonious opposition, mm-hmm. right? So it's like a tension, basically. It's not even a tension. It's more just like a flow. Mm. But the one will change into the other. And this is an aspect of how the Chinese culture is. And this is why we have such a hard time understanding them, because they adapt to change very differently than we do. And so if, if they see some change coming from the US business, they're going to react to it differently than we would. They may adapt to it in a way that we misinterpret as, as oh, you're, 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 that's not what you said yesterday, or uh, that's, that's not what what we were expecting or, you know, so there, then it's like, okay, you're lying or you're, you're cheating or something like that. But it's really, 
it's a misrepresentation of a different approach to try and adjust or adapt to the situation. Mm -hmm. Because everything can be... So in, in Chinese culture, good and bad are essentially the same thing. They're just two different expressions of one thing. Okay. And so it's very easy for us, in our minds, we see good and bad as being very, very separate and mm -hmm. different. So this comes down to the basic mindset difference between the U.S. culture and the Chinese culture. The U.S. culture is like a, a black and white checkerboard. So we've got our black squares and we've got our white squares and they can't mix and they can't match. We want everything to be very, very distinct and very categorized. Whereas in Chinese culture, their mindset is like the yin-yang. So they see things from a different perspective. And those two mindsets coming together have a really hard time blending a lot of times. And when there's not somebody there who can understand how to blend those two cultures in a way that, that works for both of them, then it makes it difficult and challenging. And I think that's a lot of what's going on right now with the trade wars, too. Is it's just we have these coming together of two very different worldviews that are causing misunderstandings more on our side than on their side. And, and so then we're pushing in ways that are actually creating more tension and more problems rather than working in ways to, to work with and fix. In the Chinese culture, they believe that it's better to work with the situation and adjust to fit in than to come in and try and force change. Okay, gotcha. So then, so kind of circling back then. So the first thing is, I think, a mindset shift, which is maybe the main thing to look at is understanding that, okay, naturally untrusting and trust is built and established over time. Right. And so circling back to say an example company who's looking to outsource there. So they, they right. begin the mindset shift and they, you know, so let's just say they start to understand this. What are the practical actions they can take, you know, besides just going over there, sitting in a room, um, to, to build that relationship, mm -hmm. um, and to, Obviously, they're looking at it ultimately from our American point of view as transactional, right? Mm -hmm. we, it's going to be cheaper or whatever it happens to be. Like we have a reason we want to outsource. Mm -hmm. What's the next step? So you go over there, you start to build relationships, um, you start to build trust. How do you get that trust? Uh, continue to you know move forward with it, and then how do you also then um, avoid any naive mistakes, if you mm -hmm. will? So you did a good job of understanding everything that I just. Good. <laughs> and putting Good. it putting it into a succinct uh, no, it's very very helpful. I think I think I'm starting to to understand. Yeah. So um, over there, I suggest that you at least meet with three different companies. And and one thing when when interacting with the Chinese is that we need to really be strat strategic about what we say to them, the things that we say, and. That's another thing that's very different between the two cultures. The Chinese are very reserved. They aren't going to just chat. They're going to chat strategically. What they're saying, they're saying for a reason. They're saying it in, in, in light of a goal. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, Americans tend to chat, and it becomes giving too much information. We offer up too much information. And a lot of information can be can be gleaned by the Chinese in situations that we may not feel like we're giving over information. We're, we're showing habits. We're showing um, ideals, values, uh, desires, whatever. When they know those things, then that gives them something to hold on to as a, oh, OK, this is what they're really looking for. And so 
when we, when we do that, then we're, we're giving more information than we should. So we really need to be careful that we don't talk too much. We just talk, say what we need to say and leave it at that. So it's being friendly, but not being friendly where it's like, you know, we would be, you know, just sitting down and just kind of shooting right. the bull. And I think that's a big mindset shift because, you know, sales largely in the U.S. is also relationship-based. But it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's knowing about what's happening with your family or, you know, just having those conversations, those few minutes of, you know, just building rapport, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the only strategic play there is simply to build rapport rather than, um, you know, trying to assess necessarily values or, or whatever that happens right. to be. When you think about it, though, there's a lot of opportunity there to do that if we right. have that mindset. Yeah. And then we can take that information and we can, we can uh, just store it away and refer back to it later when we're in a situation. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of the strategic aspect of how dealing and interacting with the Chinese is. A relationship with friends in China in its own right is strategic. You never just open up completely to to a friend and just sort of pour your heart out. There really isn't such a concept. It's um, still very much strategic because everybody has to be cautious that I don't give <clears throat> I don't give out too much information. There's another expression in Chinese: and it basically means don't have a heart that harms others, but have a heart that protects yourself from others. Hmm. And that's an expression that kids know. And so they grow up, and their parents will tell them, you know, be careful when you're making friends. Be careful with the people that you're interacting with. And they carry that with them through their, through their life. But they also have the value of not going out and hurting somebody else. Sure. Right? But that you need to protect yourself from being hurt by others. So what that says is that there are opportunities out there if we're not careful within that culture. I mean, there are within our culture, too, but it's just our whole different ways of interacting acting when it goes into business it's more we need to be more careful in china business wise Mm -hmm. so once the business is over there interacting with say you've met three um suppliers three manufacturers then it's it's establishing that relationship and the relationship in china is established in a very different way than it is for us like you were just talking about um you said that uh you know in sales we can ask people about their families or something like that. Well, just in establishing a relationship, that's actually a part of getting to know people, but it's on a, a little bit more of a um, a personal basis, not talking about like personal information, but just a little more relaxed than so much as a sales situation. It's uh, interacting, talking about information, getting information, talking about uh, family members and interests and things like that is all safe. There are certain things that, you know, you don't want to ask the Chinese and they'll never ask you, but, or there are also things that they may ask you that you wouldn't ask Americans. So it's, it's a very different way of getting to know each other and it's usually done over a meal. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had a situation where I was um, with a, a, a small business client in uh, China and uh, they wanted to visit their manufacturer. And so we went together and I interpreted the situation and helped them with the negotiations. And we ended up having a great conversation meeting the manufacturer. They had never met the manufacturer. They'd been interacting with them for quite some time. Just walking in the door, sitting down and interacting with them, they got a 20% discount on their pricing. Oh, wow. You know, and this is one thing about when there is no direct interaction with, with the Chinese, there's no relationship. 
mm-hmm. and they're not going to treat you like a friend. And if they see you as a friend, they're going to give you the better deal. They're going to give you the good deal. Whereas if they don't see you as your friend, as a friend, they're not going to. And so that's where a friendship is is so important in the Chinese culture. And they they talk about friendship. Whereas for us, that sounds a little bit weird. You know, it's like friendship between you know businesses. It doesn't quite mesh, but that's where we have these differences in cultural values right. and, and what things mean and how things work and how taking advantage of aspects of the culture can actually bring the benefits to you and lower pricing, higher quality, um, all sorts of things when dealing with those, those manufacturers and those uh, suppliers. Yeah. So help me sort of reconcile, because earlier we talked about how to not be just transactional, right? How mm-hmm. a U.S. business does appro- approach it transactional. But then we've also said, like, don't overshare, right? You right. know, and that there's cer- a certain strategic sort of um, approach that, that Chinese culture is taking at. Help me right. reconcile those two, because they seem in my head as I, I, I sort through this, you know, like, okay, you know, if we, if we want to be super strategic, we need to keep it more transactional, not share too much. How do, we, how do we find that happy medium, and how do we make sure those two things aren't in conflict, I guess? Well, that's, that's sort of the challenge, I think, with not having access to the cultural understanding. And that's where, through speaking the Chinese language directly when interacting with the Chinese, then you're able to access their, their culture, and then all of that stuff is really easy to sort out. There's, there's nothing that needs to be thought about because it happens naturally within the culture. Mm-hmm. It's when it's being done in a forced way or in a, in a natural way that it's a little bit awkward. Um, there, are, there are a lot of American companies who have been interacting with China for a long time, and some of their maybe they've hired a Chinese person to help them with the negotiations, or maybe they have a um, a U.S.-born person who is, uh, has been working with that for quite a while, who doesn't speak Chinese, but they've interacted with them long enough that they have this sense that they understand them and they understand the culture and they know what, you know, what to do and how to interact and whatnot in order to achieve probably a, a, a fairly decent relationship. But it's taken a long time, and there's, I'm sure, been a lot of uh, challenges, bumps, and, and, and potholes and whatnot as they've been going along. Um, so by being able to just go in, interact with them directly in their language, all of that sort of sorts itself out because it's a natural progression within the culture. The, the language guides you through the culture, and the culture guides you through the language. It's, oh, okay. it's not something that's just like, you know, there's a a way to do it or there's like an outline. Right, it just right. it doesn't work that way because you were going between such drastically different cultures and mindsets and worldviews that, you know, a lot of a lot of times um, I notice that Americans will look at Chinese culture and they'll see communism and mm-hmm. they'll say, oh well that's communist. When in, in fact it's not, it's Chinese. But because the Chinese culture is so much a, a culture of of the group versus the individual, we see that as, as a form of communism. And so we misinterpret a lot of things that are actually Chinese culture for being communistic because we don't understand the two. And so we don't understand how to really see the difference between the two. Yeah, okay, so we're not very good at, at distinguishing what's maybe the political, like, you know, true communist versus, like, what's just been a part of their culture for thousands and thousands of right, years. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then circling back then to, to the company, so you go over there and then you sit down and have a meal, you start to establish a relationship, and then 
when do you sort of, let's just say it's, you're working with them for the first time, when do you sort of move into the um, negotiation phase? And like, what does that look like actually talking about production, about the, the nitty gritty, the details of all of that? When is an appropriate time to do that after the relationship is established? Obviously, there's got to be some of that probably up front to make sure you're working with at least the right type of company. Oh, yeah. um, but how does that transition from, okay, now we're, we're establishing a friendship, you know, strategically, mm-hmm. right? We're cautiously. Mm-hmm. Um, when does it shift over into the, the transaction itself? And what does that look like in Chinese culture? So, um, and I understand where, where a lot of what I, what I say kind of probably sounds off the wall or a little bit esoterical, but that's simply because we're talking about such different cultures. And right. so I we're appreciate you kind of bring me back, bringing me back lens, to reality yeah. for the American. But um, no, those, those are things that I think start early on. So when I'm, say I'm sourcing a manufacturer for a U.S. Um, business in China, and so I, I source the manufacturer. Of course, I need to know what, you know, what the business needs done and you know, what, what needs to be manufactured and the basic specs. Mm-hmm. And, and finding the manufacturers that I feel are the best for their needs, that can meet their needs, but finding three or four. And then ultimately, the next step should be visits to the factory. Okay. to the manufacturer. And that's one of the big challenges for American companies. It's like, okay, I want the information, but then when it comes to that follow-through, they don't understand the value of, okay, let's get on a plane and let's fly over and let's meet with them because they don't grasp the need to have to sit there in front of them or to go and visit them and how important that is into creating and establishing a successful relationship. That is really where the beginning of the relationship starts. So you already have the information out there. Okay, I know that you probably can do what I'm doing, or I, I have a sense that or do what I need, or I have a sense that you're able to manufacture what I'm looking for in case the specs are a little bit different. Than, right. Than you know average. that they make electronics or apparel, or they have, right. broadly speaking, the capability. Right. And electronics are more challenging. Um, you know, apparel, things like that are a lot easier. It's You can make those tweaks. So a lot of times it's not good to ask too detailed of a question because when you ask too detailed of a question, you may be closing the door because they may say, oh, well, we can't do that. When actually they probably can. But there again, they don't know you, so they're not going to say, oh, yeah, we can do that. It's not until you're sitting in front of them when then you want to start bringing up some of the more detail-oriented aspects and start inquiring into whether or not they're able to do this or that that may be a little bit different in your product versus a similar product. And at that point, then the relationship is what kicks in to allow them to say, oh yeah, we can do that, versus when you've not created that relationship or established that relationship, then they're just gonna say, no, we can't do that. Sure. And, and another thing too is that when you're interacting with these manufacturers from here, you're having to go through a customer service person, a salesperson, because of the language. So you're speaking English to them. You don't have direct access to the manager. You don't have direct access to the owner. And when you go over and visit, when it's done correctly, you're going in to talk to and to interact with the person who's the decision maker. Whereas when you're dealing with them from over here through Alibaba, for the smaller companies, or through um, just interacting with the manufacturer, they're going to have people interacting with you who speak English. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that person has much authority. 
Right. They they're, may be called effectively a secretary or admin assistant, right? Right. They're a customer so service person. They're going to give you the sort of default response of here's the template, right. here's how much it costs, et right. cetera. And yeah. if you you have some special needs, some special requests, you won't be able to get around that person to get to the person who can actually answer the questions or make the decision to help you. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it's very possible that you you don't have the language skills to be able to communicate with them and to pull in their heartstrings culturally to have them help you and get done what needs to be done. Okay. So you go over there, you establish a relationship, and that's when you really ask the deeper questions about, you know, specifications, um, you know, special needs or requests that you have. Right. Um, and then are you getting then sort of, how does it work from a, uh, like a quoting process, right? So do you just sort of compare and contrast all three or four of these these manufacturers you've talked to? You know, how do you mm-hmm. sort of, what's the final decision um, from a cultural perspective, from a business perspective, a lot of times it's a little more straightforward. Right. But of saying, okay, we're going with manufacturer B, right, out of these mm-hmm. options. Well, when you visit the manufacturer, you're able to look at them from a lot of different perspectives. You're interacting with the, um, the management. Um, one thing about interacting with people in English versus in Chinese is when you're interacting with somebody in a foreign language, it's harder to judge that person's character and trustworthiness. When you're interacting with... In a language foreign to them. Right. So when they're in English... Right. Okay, got it. Right, yeah. When they're speaking English to us, it's hard for us to judge their character as a Chinese person. Mm -hmm. But when they're speaking Chinese, it's really easy to judge. Is What kind of person is this? You know, the way they talk, their mannerisms, their... The words that they use, the, the you know, there's a lot of different aspects that makes it easy watching their you know their eyes, and we use our eyes differently than the Chinese. So those things are all really important in being able to judge: is this a trustworthy company? And that company needs to be judged by the manager. And so it's really important to get in with the manager, to get in with the owner would be the best thing. If it's a small company, it's easy to get in with the owner. Like when I took. Um, my client to his manufacturer, we, we just dealt with the owner. It was really easy. Um, but if it's a big conglomerate, it may be a little bit more challenging. Still, we need to get to the highest person possible. And mm-hmm. that's something where uh, a white guy who speaks fluent Mandarin and understands man- uh, Chinese culture can open doors that the Chinese can't open. Right. And that's something that that is really valuable of having somebody who is American, because the Chinese trust Americans. They'll Mm -hmm. trust an American who speaks Chinese more than they will trust a Chinese who lives in America, because they understand the people of their own culture, and they also know that Americans are more trustworthy. So that's something that just sort of is a a, a taken, or something that everybody kind of knows. So um, being able to judge that that company through interacting with them, looking around, seeing things. I've I've heard some Americans who don't speak Chinese who have interacted with, with China a few times or over for quite a few years actually, talk about how they go in and they 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 check a company. And they're talking about how they'll check people's uh, badges and they'll make sure that they're really a, an employee and stuff like this. And I'm just thinking, wow, that's a great way to really make people think you're you're like right, no Dishonest. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So no, you don't. You don't go in there and start checking that stuff. That's the manufacturer's problem. You know, that's their that's their situation. What would what would we think if somebody from China came over here and? and went into one of our businesses and started asking employees, uh, can I see your employee badge? Can I see your employee number? You right. know, it's just like, 
give me a break. Sure, you know? yeah. So, um, no, we need to be friendly. We need to be nice. We need to, you know, interact with people in a way that makes them trust us. But at the same time, we need to be watching them very strategically. So then once we have these three different manufacturers, then we're able to look at them and compare them. Okay, which has the higher quality? Which has the, the best ability to meet our needs? Which one is the most trustworthy from interacting? Which one do we have the best relationship with the highest person? Sure. Because if we don't have a relationship with the highest person, then it's going to be really hard to get things done. Mm -hmm. We're going to run into walls because we're just dealing with managers. Right. And if you're just dealing with a manager, he may not be able to, to actually get done what you need to have done. Right. Whereas you have the general manager, the owner, then, right. then you have a lot more pull. Right. And especially if they like you. Right. If they like you, then they're going to work for you. They want you to be their 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 client sure. and, and their customer. And so they're going to support you in whatever way they can as long as at the same time it comes back around to them. And that's the, another aspect to the yin-yang and how a relationship happens in China is if if I go to the Chinese and I'm asking for something and they give it to me, I have to recognize that at some point I'm going to have to give something back. And what, do, what does that give back look like then? Because obviously, you know, there's more business would be the, the cliche one, but, or maybe the obvious one. But what are the other ways that, you know, American companies give back to Chinese companies in, in trade for a negotiation? Well, that, that really is part of the negotiation, I think. But it, that is outside of negotiation. Negotiation is one thing. Negotiation is really a this for that situation, right? But mm -hmm. when I'm talking about, you know, if, if I ask something, so if, like, if, if we've already done the negotiating and then there's a situation where something needs to be done that wasn't part of the negotiation. Right, we need to change a zipper or speed up delivery or something maybe like right. that. Right, yeah, yeah, like yeah. maybe quality a little bit. I don't know, something that's a little bit of a challenge that we're asking a favor, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we ask for a favor, and then we have to recognize that at some point I'm going to have to give something back. So it's sort of a tit for a tat situation, but that's the way successful relationships are nurtured in China because when I help you out, then I know when you're in need, I need to help you out too. You're going to help me out, and I'm going to help you out. Gotcha. Sort of a situation. Mm -hmm. And and that's how the that's how friendships are based. Sure. I mean, China. that's that's the same over here, right? You know, I've heard people call it like a relational bank account or something. You know, there's give and take, push and pull, right? Right, yeah. Cool. So then let's maybe even in, you know, memento type fashion, let's move back even earlier. And so if you're starting a company, because I know you've worked with a lot of small businesses, probably some like FBA fulfilled by Amazon type mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're um, wanting to start a company and you have an idea mm -hmm. for a product, you know, let's just say simple apparel, you know, a small, you know, unit account where you're going to order maybe a couple hundred or a couple thousand at the most for the first order. Um, maybe flying, you know, into China is difficult, mm -hmm. um, perhaps cost prohibitive, you know, cause you're sort of prototyping. Maybe you have an entire budget of four or $5,000 just to do the whole thing. Sure. Um, to launch this business, what is the, what should we look for? I mean, because there's AliExpress, there's Alibaba, there's drop shipping. How do you sort of get off the ground, right? Whether through clients that you've had, I'd just like to know your experience of, you know, if you want to sell whatever, embroidered T-shirts or whatever that thing happens to be, how do you establish a, a, enough relationship to sort of prove the business model before, you know, spending $3,000 to fly over there and, and build relationships? Is there a way to do that? Is there a way to sort of expedite the process but still be efficient? Um, so... Uh, that's hard for me to answer because that doesn't involve me. 
Okay. Uh, for for a company who is really small, can't afford to invest in going to China, then I I can't get involved, because essentially what that is is you you're you're not going to be creating a relationship with the the business. If you're only looking at purchasing a thousand, um, then you're you're really you have no no choice but to go Alibaba or AliExpress, um, dropship. At that point, it's all going to be a long-distance right. relationship. It's going to be more transactional it's until transactional, you reach volume. Right. And there's nothing I can do really to get involved with that relationship because you're dealing with the customer service person. And so I have no way to go into that company unless I fly over there and I go to the business, which is probably a trade company. So when you're dealing with a trading company, you're paying higher prices and you're also going to lose out in quality because the trading company isn't really working for you. They're just working with many fa- manufacturers that they, have, um, that, that they have relationships with who can manufacture things, and so they just get it manufactured for you. Quality could really be a challenge. I've heard lots and lots of horror stories of local Colorado, northern Colorado businesses who have done that, and they, what they get, they can't even sell because the quality is so bad. But when they get the sample, it looks great. Hmm. You know, so this is unfortunately just a bad situation that's happening in China because of Alibaba and AliExpress. You've got some of these scoundrels who are taking advantage of an opportunity, and they know that there's no recourse. They know that there's not a whole lot that people can do. Yeah, AliExpress or Alibaba says, I think, that they'll, they guarantee something to some extent. But that, I think, is, is dangerous. I would never suggest if somebody only has $3,000 to invest it like that. I would say that take a cheap trip to China. It doesn't take $3,000 to go to China. It can be a lot cheaper. I mean, I go over there and, and, and I can, you know, do really cheap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you know what you're doing, it's, sure. it, you know, there's no five star hotels right. for me, you know, I mean, it's not necessary, you know, mm-hmm. and, and taking cabs, getting around, it's all really easy. It's really inexpensive taking the Metro. You know, I've told uh, some, some of my uh, potential clients that we could go over there and, you know, probably take, take, Two weeks for maybe a thousand dollars, you know, and that's with a cheap fly, a flight. But it's it's there's ways of doing it. But uh, what would probably be the best second option to that Alibaba sort of a case where you really have no control over what's going on, mm-hmm. you just hope for the best, is to consider the Canton Fair. Okay, the Canton Fair happens twice a year in in uh, Guangzhou, and um, it's the largest trade show, trade fair in the world, essentially. Um, it, it's in three separate week sectors, and they divide it up according to different products, uh, electronics, um, clothing, different you know housewares, things like that. It's mind-boggling. It's huge. Um, just recently, I uh, was involved with the Global Chamber, who signed an agreement with the, the Canton Fair, and so now the Global Chamber is um, supporting the Canton Fair and representing the Canton Fair here in the U.S. Oh, cool, yeah. And so there's, there's a, a lot of opportunity through the Canton Fair. So going over to the Canton Fair, being able to see manufacturing booths, Figure out if it's a manufacturer or if it's trade a trading company, and sometimes it's not easy because if you ask, they're going to tell you they're a manufacturer, but later you may find out that actually they're a trading company. So but there's generally you want to go, if possible, with the manufacturer instead of so a trading company in effect is a broker, right? right? Like they they 
you know, get the deal, they outsource it and they take a, basically a cut of it and they right. just deliver it to you. Right. But you're not working directly with the manufacturer. So you have less influence on quality, on timelines, all that, because you're always going through the broker. Right. Okay. And they may not understand your product. They may not understand your needs. They may not understand what you're trying to say, you know, so it just... So then how do you find manufacturers, right? Um, you know, because if you go through AliExpress or Alibaba, you know, you're a lot of times are working with a broker. How do you determine, um, and maybe visiting is the only way, but how do you determine if you're really working with the manufacturer themselves or somebody who's like, yeah, yeah, we manufacture, but it's really just a broker? You just answered your own question. Okay. It's, yeah, it's it visiting. Is. The only way anybody can know is to actually visit. And if you're not insightful and you're not culturally savvy, you still could be duped because you don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's so important to visit with somebody who can really pick up on what's going on. I've heard of stories where people of Americans have gone over there and they've met with one person who said, oh, I'll take you to my factory, and they go to this factory, and then they met another person who said, I'll take you to the factory, and they go to the same factory. You know, So it's like it can, you just don't know. There's a lot of things that can be going on under the surface that just does not click with what we would think could right. be happening. There's so many potential situations that could be happening. Right. So the best thing is to visit the factories. And so that's why I said in the beginning, it's like, okay, if I'm helping a company source the factories, I find factories. I go direct to the factories. I'm not doing this in English. I'm not Googling in English. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going directly to Chinese. I'm finding the factory through the Chinese language. And then I'm I'm interacting with them in the Chinese language. So, so I'm talking to people in that factory. I'll call them in the middle of the night, call the factory and say, hey, I need to speak with you know, your, your salespeople or I need to speak with you know, whomever. And then I'm starting that relationship. Well, that relationship is immediately in Chinese. It's done in Mandarin or in the Chinese characters. And so that way, it's already established in Chinese. Mm. And then the next process, the next step in the process would be go over and visit. Right. And so when you're starting directly interacting with the factory, you know it's a factory. So right. I have no question in my mind but that this is a factory. Right. You're not going through the AliExpress trying no, to figure no out way. who's really behind this thing. No way. Uh, I would yeah. never do that. <laughs> yeah. Got it. <laughs> it's a completely different approach. Mm-hmm. But the most important and the hardest step for the American manufacturer, the American business person, is to actually take that step to go to China. Mm-hmm. And I've had quite a few clients who I've done all of the, the, the background check. I've, you know, I've made the connections and then they just, they just sort of flake because the, there seems to be a, a mental block to getting on a plane and flying to China and visiting factories. Okay. I think it's hard for people to understand the value and the necessity to be able to do that because it doesn't seem like something that we would have to do. Right. And there's just generally a lot of friction, right? I mean, getting on a plane, taking two weeks out, dealing with time change, immigration. Well, like then the I'll do deal. it for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you don't want to go, I'll go. I'll take pictures. I'll, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a way to avoid all of that. You know, yeah. uh, send emails, let you know what's going on. Right. For sure. <laughs> so then, yeah, let's talk about your business then. Um, and we've brushed on it a lot. Uh, indirectly, we're talking about culture and, and all that. But what what kind of companies do you work with? Um, I guess kind of your you know elevator pitch. Like I just want to know about your business and how um, how you help companies particularly. 
So I work with any companies that want to do manufacturing, sourcing, or just creating relationships. So organizations, maybe. If there's an organization, a local nonprofit that's interested in, in, in doing things over in China, making connections in China, then I support them too. So really nothing, because if in the beginning I said that I expect the business to understand their business. If right. you don't understand your business, I can't help you. Right. right, but I may not understand your business. That's not to say that I don't understand business negotiations and management because I've done that for many years. But it's still, I need you to understand your business if you want me to be able to help you in China. I do what needs to get done. If you're looking for a product, if you're looking for a source, if you're needing sourcing, if you're needing uh, manufacturers, whatever negotiations. If you feel like there are some challenges, you know. What's going on? I don't understand. Can't we, you know, I can't communicate this stuff easily. I had a, a, a local um, business who contacted me to get me involved with the communications with one of their factories because there was a communication breakdown. And so by doing that, I was able to help them to satisfactorily figure things out and work through stuff. So um, pretty much any way where it comes down to communications, negotiation, challenges, um, what's going on. But it's usually better to go into the relationship already with somebody like me in place rather than waiting until something happens because if you wait until something happens, then there's been a lot of stuff festering. Right. So, yeah, so it's easier for you to go in and be a part of the relationship from the beginning than to try and just hop in and put out all the fires, obviously. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so let's talk then about design versus manufacturing, right? Because a lot of the products that we use every single day, you know, are made in China, but, you know, like even your iPhone, like designed by Apple in California sort of thing. Um, for a, from a design standpoint, is it better for most companies to have a really solid idea of what they're looking for and to have, you know, worked with an industrial designer, an apparel designer, a fashion designer to create what they want and then go over there? Or is um, design something that people should think about, uh, I guess, outsourcing as well to China? I think that really depends on what it is that you're trying to achieve. If you're, if you're still in a place where you're not sure exactly what it is that you want and you're interested in seeing more potential examples, then I think that the Canton Fair is great because mm -hmm. you go over there and you're seeing products that have been manufactured for the global market, not just for the US market. And a lot of times um, you'll see maybe a product that's manufactured for the European market that has some things in it that it's like, oh, I didn't think about that. That would be a really neat addition for what, what we're doing. So I think that's a, a good way to maybe get some new ideas and, and sort of trigger more creative ways of seeing things. And um, for a company like Apple, I think you know they can afford to hire the best designers. Sure. So I don't think there's really a question there, but for Doing designing in China versus doing designing over here, I think it just really depends on your communication skills. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the, the quality of design work that can be done in China is equal to what can be done over here. Okay. The challenge is going to be with the communications. Mm. If you're not able to clearly communicate or, or know that the person is clearly understanding what you're wanting, then you're going to have to go through a lot of remakes and re redo. But if you have somebody there, again, who's able to 
clearly communicate your, your needs and your expectations to the Chinese and then clearly communicate their questions or their challenges back to you and sort of solidify that communication flow, then I don't think that there should be any problem with that at all. So there's a gotcha. lot of saving and money in hiring a designer out of China, but then you may have to invest into the person who's helping you to communicate between the right. two. Being right, being able to clearly articulate what you want and... I got it. Okay. Right, yeah. So then what about um, the other kind of hot-button issue right now is IP, intellectual property, um, and risks in, you know, people will accuse the Chinese, um, I think oftentimes fairly, but I don't know, of, you know, stealing IP. Um, so if you have a product that is patentable, patented, um, what are some considerations maybe to think about when uh, when working with Chinese companies to either, not that I don't know you can ever eliminate, but at least reduce the risk of, you know, IP theft or, um, you know, duplication, something like that. That That's a, I think that's a can of worms question. Okay. That we, we have a very one perspective viewpoint, I think, from our culture and our perspective. We see that as, and I think that's one of the things that's really been, um, Stoking a lot of anger towards China, as far as the U.S. is concerned, is this IP question of IP. Um, I, I've asked people about it. You know, there's a lot about the details that I don't understand the laws and whatnot. But one thing I, I, have, I have learned is that um, when you have a patent, that patent is public. So it's, it's public information. And it's so like people in the public are, record. It's yeah. in the public record, number one. So, you know, what do you say to that? Right. Um, number two, they're again understanding how to work with the culture in order to in order to avoid situations, right? So in Chinese culture, law is not above relationship. Mm. Whereas in the US culture, relationship is under law. Okay, And so our worldviews in that perspective are very different. We think that law controls everything, whereas the Chinese think that relationship controls everything. And so that's why when we go to China, we want to have relationships. Because it's only through relationships, building good, strong, trustworthy relationships that we're going to be able to be successful. But if we go over there and we're... we're, we're arrogant or we're rude or we're demanding, that's not going to create for good relationships and that's only going to entice things, right. you know, higher prices, uh, less interest in, in higher quality or, you know, anything like that. So it's through that relationship and that relationship is with the highest person in the business mm -hmm. because that person's going to affect everybody below them. Sure. So if you have a relationship with, with the, the owner of the company, then all of the workers are going to respect you because they know that the owner likes you, so they're going to treat you with the same respect that the owner treats you with. So it's, 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 it's a very different situation. So when we're dealing with an IP, yeah, how do we deal with that? Well, we have to think about what can we do to avoid... You know, do we talk about it up front? Do we, you know, get their their input? What do you guys think? Or is there something that we can put in place that sort of keeps 
a certain amount of information from them that we keep that, you know. So, right. so I keep things proprietary. Keep things proprietary. I think it just depends on situations. Uh, mm. Every situation can be different. And every situation there, again, going back to the aspect about how Chinese culture just sort of adapts, situations needed to be adapted to according to what's going on in the situation. So it's really right. hard to say, well, when you're here, do that. When you're there, do that. Right. Because you have to look and see what's going on in that immediate situation in order to be able to know what to do next. Sure. And I think to your point, I guess I didn't realize initially, I knew it, but I didn't put two and two together, that patents are already obviously in the public, not public domain, but public record, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, so if they, if someone wants to steal that right outside of the U S legal and patent system, they're going to do it anyway. Um, so yeah. And then just keeping things proprietary as much as possible, as much as reasonable. Can you elaborate a little bit on the law versus relationship, um, dynamic that you highlighted? Like, what does that mean? Cause I think in the U S legal system, it's like, Oh, if you commit a crime, it's a crime, no matter what, is that still the same over there? How does, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, in the 80s, China didn't have a whole lot of law. Law was something that they were very weak in. But their whole society is based on relationship. It's not based on law. The, the relationship situation in China created a sense of, of pressure on the people, social pressure that, that, that caused people to do the right things. And then they would deal with things. It was a sense of a law, but it wasn't what we consider law. Right. You know, it's not like somebody who's put together all of these... Statutes well, and, codified, yeah. Right, codified. So after the, the beginning of when China opened up to the, to the world, then a lot of Western countries started putting pressure on China to have laws because that was the way we saw the world. That was how we understood management. That's how we understood things happening. There had to be a law there to you know, be able to fall back onto. So, <coughs> so essentially... China has created their laws to appease their interactions with foreign countries. Mm. That's the easy response. But in China, law does not take precedence. It's still relationship. If you know somebody who has, who has the ability to help you work through a situation, then that can happen. It's right. just the way things are. That's why it's so important to have relationships with people in China. The law can't help you as much as a good relationship. Sure. Well, it's, relationships are certainly easier, right? Um, well, yes and no. It just sort of depends. Easier in the sense of <laughs> if you have a good one to, to resolve right. the situation. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why the Chinese want to have good relationships with people. Mm, in okay. their mind, if I have a good relationship with you, you're going to help me. And you're going to do what what is my best interest because we're friends. Right. Right? Whereas our thought is... You need to do what the law says, because if the law says that you do this, then that's what you have to do. And so I think this also is a part of this, what we're seeing that's going on between the US and China as far as the trade wars are considered. We are coming in from a perspective of, well, but this is the law, and the Chinese are like, but we're friends. Mm -hmm. And so you know, we want to be friends. We want to do things to help you so that you'll do things to help us. Right, that right? strategic friendship that you talked about earlier. Right. There's still yeah. some give and take. There is. Um, so it's not necessarily a sacrificial friendship, but more of, yeah, a strategic friendship. Right. And you don't throw friends under the bus. Right. Right. Because when you do, then they're no longer friends. And the right. Chinese, when you do that to them, they remember that. Mm -hmm. And they are a people who know about revenge. And that's something that's written into their classical literature is revenge. And they'll, they, they believe that if I can't revenge you, 
for what you did to me, my grandkids can. Mm. And so that's the way they see the world. They see things as, you know, you've done this, you've caused me to lose face, you haven't respected me, and you've caused me to lose face in front of the group. Right. And so consequently, you know, I no longer see ourselves, see us as being friends, and that could come back to bite you later right. on. Right. Got it. Cool. Well, that's a... Uh... That's a lot of good stuff, Todd. So for good. people who want to um, follow up with you, maybe they're thinking about um, you know, outsourcing manufacturing to China, maybe they're having issues, or somehow what you offer relates to their business, where can they find you? What's the best place for them to find you online? Oh, the best place is at my website or on LinkedIn. So the website is uh, www.cultur668.com. So culture six six eight no e culture no e yeah, yeah. culture six six eight dot com okay yeah or Todd at culture six six eight dot com or on LinkedIn yeah and you post a lot of good stuff on LinkedIn related to current issues and and relationships happening in China so and culture too and culture yeah, yeah. which uh, is it's 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 weird for us I know it's like well why do I need to understand Chinese culture to be successful in China well. Yeah. Try it with and then try it without and see what the difference is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But one thing I wanted to also bring up, Tyler, is that, you know, there are a lot of businesses who are considering, say, going to Malaysia or to Vietnam and, and you know, all of these other countries that are now starting to open up with the pressure that's being put onto China. Um, something to consider about that is that uh, China is very well established with quality, technology. They're able to put together a good thing. They have a they have a good process already well established. So if you're looking to do things that need that well established process, China is probably the best place to go. If you're already there, I would suggest working through it, figuring out ways to, if the tariffs are a little bit tough for you at this point, get somebody involved who can help you with negotiating pricing because you might be amazed at what can happen that you didn't expect could happen. Just like my client that we went over and and uh, sat down and talked with the owner and got a 20% discount. You know, he was, he was sort of taken aback by that. It didn't surprise me at all because he had never sat down with him. He had never had a face-to-face. -face. He had never interacted with him from, from a perspective of, you know, Yeah, a business owner to business owner sort right. of thing. Yeah. yeah. So that, I think, is um, a good way to maybe off... Um, off, what's the word? Like offset? Offset yeah. that, that extra expense. And then um, considering, you know, if you're doing something that's, that's maybe clothing or something that's simple, you know, I suppose that Vietnam or some of those places might be um, someplace to consider, but you're going to run into a lot of the similar, same problems that you'll have with China in those countries. Culturally. Culturally, cultural, yeah. Cultural and problems. then also uh, lack of management and mm -hmm. um, skill set. So. Yeah. Well, good. Well, Todd, thanks a ton for your time. Um, I appreciate it. We'll put links to your stuff in, in the bio of the podcast, but okay. I appreciate it. And All thanks right. for the tea as well. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Tyler.